Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. After 46 days of horrendous violence in which many, many thousands of innocent civilians have been killed, we now have a truce which has been established, brokered by Qatar, which is supposed to last for four days. We'll talk about that uh, between, obviously, in practice, meaning a cessation of Israel's bombardment and ground attacks in Gaza. That's a the basis of it for hostages taken by Hamas to be released in exchange for 150 Palestinian prisoners who are women and children who are detained by Israeli forces. Um, What does this all mean? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today in terms of what happens next. And we've got some brilliant guests as ever, very lucky always to have brilliant guests who can talk. Um, We have uh, Israeli peace activists, we have um, a a brilliant British-Palestinian leader, and we have a brilliant doctor who can also talk about the humanitarian catastrophe which is enveloping Gaza, which might even become even clearer now because, and we'll talk about this, because comments in the media suggest the US administration is nervous, quote-unquote, about this pause because they fear that it will now be easier to see the impact if people can it's things like retrieving bodies from under rubble and just to be blunt about it but the sheer scale of the horror which has been unleashed against gaza may become more and more clear um now um i want to just i'm going to move to my guests as soon as possible my first guest just very quickly now because he ha- is a very busy man as i guess are um, as ever if you're watching uh the video press like like and subscribe uh click on the youtube link it's if you if you're able to do so. Um, and you can ask the uh, guests questions and support the whole channel on Super Chat. And I'll read you out everyone at the end, but also you can keep the show on the road and all the videos we're doing um, and all the work we're putting in. We're trying to do a video every single day, at least um, on patreon.com forward slash Owen Jones 84. Um, now I'm going to bring in the brilliant uh, Yui Weltman, who is, sorry, Veltman, not Weltman, Veltman. Yeah, that's Veltman. right. Do apologise. That should have been quite obvious. I would have imagined uh, the brilliant Yuri Veltman um, from Standing Together, who are a grassroots political movement in Israel, which bring together both um, Israeli Jews and Jew- and Palestinian citizens of Israel. And if there is hope, and there is always hope um, for the future, then then it will be the 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 struggle of people like yourself who will make make that possible. Um, so thanks for joining us, Yuri. I just want your quick response to what's your quick rea- reaction to this, uh, Trace? It's very welcomed that uh, Israeli hostages held in the Gaza Strip for more than 40 days, some of them elderly, some of them children, uh, the youngest one being a 10 months old baby, uh, are due to be released. It's a sigh of relief, a collective sigh of relief in Israeli society. But I'm also incredibly angry. angry about my own government ministers, because the deal that has been brokered 
and is soon about to, to take place, to be implemented, is a deal that was already on the table for a long time ago. But the war cabinet was very hesitant, wasn't willing to supposedly give Hamas a win by signing this decree, uh, thereby condemning the Israeli hostages to who know what atrocities during these extra days that they have spent uh, in solitude in, uh, in Hamas confinement in Gaza Strip. So, so while we are all very much relieved, it's been also be incredibly cynical and disrespectful on behalf of the government who disregards the life and well-beings of Israelis inside Israel, but also Israelis kept hostage in the Gaza Strip. And just on that, we've got a quick clip here from the BBC journalist Jeremy Bowen, the Middle East correspondent. Let's just, just hear this 30-second click and your, your response to it. The government, the Israeli government, has also said in statements that after this pause uh, needed to secure the release of the hostages, quote, fighting will resume in the Gaza Strip. Yeah, the point you made, Nick, is a good one, that Netanyahu could have had this deal weeks ago. I had it from three strong diplomatic sources that the deal was on the table and, they, and the Qataris thought they were almost there uh, on the eve of the ground invasion. But the Israelis decided to go ahead with the ground invasion. And in The Nation, an article makes this point, um, those thousands do not die, not just because Israel could have refrained from targeting civilians, which clearly used to do, but because the contours of the deal announced Wednesday have been on the table for weeks. On October the 26th, the Washington Post quoted Hamas leader as he laid out what Hamas had pitched, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, what's is it, it's quite interesting. The families of the hostages, the relatives of the hostages have actually had quite, many of them, quite a, a moderating impact, I would say, because of you know what they're going through. But what's the what's the political impact? Is there any political impact likely because it's, of this? It's incredibly infuriating that this is how the government been conducting business. Haaretz Daily newspaper reported yesterday by Amos Sarel, its military correspondent, that the Minister of Defense Yoav Gallant rejected a very similar deal last week, but now switched his position in support of it because of the public campaign, the struggle being waged by the families of the people held hostage inside Israel. There really is a major campaign happening with thousands of people demonstrating with a march to Jerusalem by the families and friends of relatives of those kidnapped. And this is um, uh, makes a strong impact on public discourse in Israel, pressuring the government to move about and to advance with the deal. And uh, the, the contours of this deal has indeed been around for many, uh, many weeks. And the government was saying at the time that it's continuing to fight in order to pressure Hamas into accepting better terms of the deal. Weeks passed, fighting happened, terrible atrocities committed, terrible human loss of Palestinians and also Israelis, yet we end up with the same deal. This comes to show that the complete disregard of our government is not only for the lives of Palestinians in the occupied territories, it also holds in contempt the almost 240 Israeli hostages held in the Gaza Strip, and it is part of its utter contempt towards Israeli society. Some of the partners in this government are extreme ultra-nationalists. This government has, for the first time in Israel's history, a Kahanist party, the most right-wing extremist fringe part of the Israeli fanatic zealous uh, settler elite, now in power for the first time in its history. And they find a counterpart in Hamas, which is a barbarous and disastrous and reactionary terrorist organization. Both of them are a mirror image of each other's politics. Both of them dabble in genocidal rhetoric toward the other people, and both of them are an enemy of both Palestinians and Israelis and a cause of Israeli-Palestinian peace. Our government has been in contempt and dehumanizes not only Palestinians, with, for example, Minister of Defense Gallant saying we are dealing with human animals when justifying 
the tightening of the siege and the cutting of electricity and water, but it also holds in contempt its own electorate and its own people in its complete disregard for the lives of the hostages, and indeed its refusal to move forward with the only thing that can secure the well-being and the safety of Israelis, which is a negotiated solution, which is advancing towards Israeli-Palestinian peace, which is implementing UN resolutions. Indeed, Netanyahu, in a press conference last Saturday, rejected the notion that there will be any form of Palestinian sovereignty over Gaza Strip, Palestinian authority or otherwise. This is him saying us, Jewish Israelis, the public in Israel, we are going to control military, to have a military occupation of the Gaza Strip for months, perhaps years. It has been 23 years since Israel withdrew from uh, South Lebanon, in which uh, there was a military Israeli occupation since the early 1980s, and the memories of the occupation of Lebanon are diminishing a bit in Israeli society, but it was a bloody occupation in which Israeli soldiers have been dying every week, and this is what he has in stock for Israeli society for the coming years, and it is a very grim prospect, and it needs to be replaced. In terms of going forward, I mean, I'm going to ask as well, just in terms of what happens next broadly, but in terms of the, you're part of what I would regard as quite a besieged movement in the moment, which is those within Israel, I mean, your coalition, obviously, as I said, of Palestinian citizens and Jewish citizens of Israel, uh, fighting for a lasting just peace. But is there any hopeful grounds, is there, you know, in terms of what you're doing at the moment that, that we can look to? Well, October 7th was a paradigm-shattering moment in Israeli politics. We have had a political crisis going on since 2019, with five consecutive election cycles. None of these elections centered on the Palestinian question, because it was deemed to be off the table. Nobody's talking about it. Netanyahu has been the most vocal proponent of the concept of managing the conflict, not ending the conflict, not ending the occupation, not advancing toward Palestinian state alongside Israel, but managing the concept. Really, the concept of managing the conflict uh, went bankrupt on October 7th. And now there is a growing understanding among the people inside Israel that there need to be some sort of diplomatic arrangement for us to continue to live here. Even the release of the hostages was done not through military force, but through diplomatic negotiations and diplomatic agreements. This is the only way to go forward. My own movement, Standing Together, which is a joint Jewish and Palestinian movement, organizes both Jewish Israelis and Palestinian citizens of Israel was organizing for the past few weeks mass Jewish-Arab solidarity rallies inside Israel. It is very difficult to get permits for demonstration because there are uh, new laws put into place since the start uh, of this war. But we've been doing indoor mass rallies calling for Israeli-Palestinian peace with 700 attending in Haifa, 400 attending in Jerusalem. Every three days, there is a mass rally in a city somewhere in Israel, both Jewish cities, Arab cities, and shared cities. And this is our way to build the political will inside Israeli society, to, to coalesce the forces inside Israeli society that want to move forward in the direction of Israeli-Palestinian peace. And our message is very simple. There are millions of Jewish Israelis here. None of them is going anywhere. There are millions of Palestinians here. None of them is going anywhere. If there's any way for us to live in safety and security, all of us, it has to come through an Israeli-Palestinian peace. It has to come towards advancing towards ending the occupation. And we need to start now because otherwise we'll have war after war after war with more innocent people harmed both in Palestine and inside Israel. I mean, just quickly, because I know we don't have long with you because they busy man. Uh, David Barrett asks, what's the likelihood of a full ceasefire being negotiated during the four-day truce? Will the West put pressure as well to agree to ceasefire? Will they keep arming Israeli occupation forces? So, I mean, the, the point there is, do you, I mean, if we listen, as you said, Benjamin Netanyahu said that there will be full security control in Gaza, which just means a lot and a permanent 
permanent armed occupation. Um, I mean, plus, if you listen to the general rhetoric of his of the Israeli leaders and officials, um, you mentioned human animals. I mean, we had, I mean, Israeli ministers approving of, for example, an article by a former general using pandemics and the spread of disease to achieve peace, as well as, you know, a leaked, you know, talk of, of, of ethnically cleansing Gaza and a leaked intelligence ministry document. I mean, people might say that the intelligence ministry doesn't have the cuts out of power. It should, it, it sounds like it should, but there's just the rhetoric is alarming. So what do you think about any lasting, you know, in terms of that likely outcome? I mean, in terms of stopping it. The rhetoric is incredibly alarming. Israeli politicians who come from the fringe of the Israeli extreme right wing, but also from the ruling Likud party has dabbled in genocidal rhetoric. And it is a very dangerous development because um, the Israeli army, the biggest army in the region, it has the capabilities to wreak terrible havoc on the civilian population in Gaza, which is indeed currently doing. Uh, I think that for Netanyahu, the continuation of the war is in his own political interest. Ma'ariv daily newspaper have been conducting public opinion polls since the war began, showing a drop in support of Likud. Uh, around a third, between a third and a half of Likud voters say they won't vote for Likud this time if headed by Netanyahu. And uh, the coalition partners, the current coalition partners, lose their majority had new elections being called today. So for Netanyahu, rather than advancing from this uh, four days truce into a complete cessation of hostilities, I think in his interest, in his own narrow political interest, is the continuation of this state of war and emergency at the cost of the life and the well-being of Palestinians and Israelis. But Netanyahu, being the cynical politician that he is, for him it is a small price to pay uh, for his continued rule and to maintain his grip on uh, political power in Israel. Yuri, um, grim stuff. But I think at least some, I mean, just your presence, the existence of your movement offers, I think, uh, hope. And if there is a future of peace, then obviously I think the movement to which you belong to and champion will be, play a critical role. So I really, really appreciate you joining us and especially when things are so busy and difficult. So thanks so much, Yuri. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Uh, great stuff. Really honoured to have Yuri and Standing Together. We've interviewed others, I'm sure you've seen from Standing Together, uh, both Jewish and Palestinian members of Standing Together as because they do bring together uh, both, which is obviously desperately needed within Israeli society. Um uh, as well now, so later on, it's very important we talk about the humanitarian uh, catastrophe which is enveloping Gaza. And we have the brilliant Mike Silver, who is a um, distinguished doctor, as I said, uh, Oxford um, University Hospitals, to talk to us about that. But now I'm really delighted to have Amy uh, Shalan, who is the director of MACAN and the chair of the British Palestinian uh, Committee. Committee? Did I write that down right or have I written that down? Committee? It is committee. Why is it? It's not pan panic, it was council. It's always committee or councils in organisational terms, isn't it? Um, Amy, I really delighted to have you um, to speak about, I guess, the horror which is currently unfolding in Gaza. I just want to start in terms of your quick response, I suppose, to or your just it doesn't have to be quick. Uh, your response to the truce which is now being established, um, supposedly, in Gaza. Um, well, of course, the news uh, of a truce is is very welcome, um, but it, it can't just be a few days pause before Israel's uh, relentless bombardment of the people of Gaza begins again, um, killing one child and injuring two every 10 minutes. So the world really has got to do much more to stop Israel's collective punishment of Gaza's 2.3 million population. And wiping out entire families, 
neighborhoods, mm -hmm. destroying Gaza, Gaza's civic infrastructure. And we've seen the horrific targeting of every aspect of life, of mm -hmm. schools, of universities, of places of worship, of homes, of water, sanitation facilities. We've seen the transformation of, of hospitals that are providing vital life-saving care into what's been called death zones and really the destruction of the healthcare system there being a, a, a key part of Israel's military strategy. So with just a pause on the table, there's a real danger that we're going to see what actually happened in Bosnia in the 1990s when those that were slaughtered were dubbed the well-fed dead. No sooner did the United Nations convoys relieve Sarajevo with food and medicine, but we saw Milosevic step up his brutal campaign of bombardment and ethnic cleansing. So really, what hope is there if the international community doesn't learn from history? So today, the situation is in fact even worse. It's not just not learning from history. We've got the UK, we've got the US and other governments being active partners in the atrocities that Israel is committing. And they really bear responsibility for getting us to this point. I'm glad you raised Bosnia, actually, because I might ask you a bit more about that, because I do think there were some striking parallels, by the way. I've been to Sarajevo and, and you know, I was taken on a tour by a former... Bosniak Muslim fighter who talked through some of the details and there's some striking problems we'll come on to. Just, I, I'm sorry to do this, put on a quick comment here. For, this is on Sky News from a IDF spokesperson in terms of what that Israel is threatening next, just to put that, what you said in further context. If uh, by any miracle all of the hostages um, are released over the next few days, will you still continue on uh, with the war in Gaza after that? I'm not aware of any change in our operational directive. I don't think there's there's a decision not to dismantle and destroy Hamas as a governing authority. I mean, that's the point. This, you know, they've made it clear. Benjamin Netanyahu has said there will be full security control in Gaza. That just means a full military occupation. I mean, obviously, Gaza was under occupation under international law before this, which people often don't don't understand. But that that's the case. But um, and we've heard what is correctly described as genocidal rhetoric by the Israeli government. So, you know, for those hoping that this could be the stepping stone to a ceasefire, doesn't seem any basis for that, does it? Uh, well, I think what we really have to do is look at the origins of the current crisis. And uh, essentially, it, it didn't begin on the 7th of October. And in fact, it didn't go back um, to the election of one of the most extreme Israeli governments ever. Uh, it goes back to the Nakba or catastrophe of 1948 and the policies and practices that Israel has carried out ever since to ensure its maximum control over the land of historic Palestine and the minimum number of Palestinians. Um, so what we're witnessing is an acceleration really, of Israel's 75-year project of colonization, dispossession and apartheid. Um, so, uh, you know, I think... It's true to say that it's not just rhetoric. The ongoing bombing campaign really does threaten to enact the largest mass expulsion of Palestinians since 1948. And its leaders are open about their policies and practices. Not just this government, but previous ones have been very clear that they see Palestinians as a demographic threat. And what Israel has been carrying out is genocide in word and deed. And 
Israeli leaders have been very clear about their intentions. They've stated explicitly they want to pulverize Gaza to the ground and to ethnically cleanse the population. So we've We've heard from Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, who said that at the end of this war, not only will Hamas uh, no longer be in Gaza, but the territory of Gaza will also decrease. And we've also heard Knesset members, uh, like Ariel Kalner, who said, right now, one goal, Nakba, a Nakba that will overshadow the Nakba of 1948. Nakba in Gaza and Nakba to anyone who dares to join. Um, so we, we have that happening. And then also let's not forget about the West Bank because the mass displacement that we're seeing in Gaza is also coinciding with increased settler and military attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank, where Israel again is accelerating its colonization of Palestinian land. We've seen armed settlers and Israeli soldiers attacking Palestinian Bedouin villages, telling residents they've got one hour to leave or be killed. And this has become the largest displacement of Palestinian Bedouins since 1972, with eight entire Palestinian villages and over uh, almost 500 people displaced in less than two weeks in October. Um, while other another six uh, villages were, were partially depopulated at the same time. And even before all of this started uh, in Gaza, um, we had in September 2023, uh, the UN publishing an alarming report stating that settler violence had displaced over a thousand Palestinians from 28 communities since 2022 and that there were not only many more incidences of settler violence, but that they were more severe in their violence, um, and that this has only gone on uh, since, since the 7th of October. Um, so that is the context in which all of this is happening. It's not just the current Israeli uh, government, but it's successive Israeli governments uh, that have been enacting such policies over decades. So crucial context and the point about genocidal rhetoric just in case people haven't seen i did an interview with uh, rez seagal who's associate professor israeli associate professor though he's based in the us now at stockton university in genocide and holocaust studies who set out where he believes that a genocide a textbook genocide is taking place and guys i mean i think one of the things that i find so shocking i mean so many things that are so shocking about but all of this is for example, if there was a hypothetical war crimes tribunal, which is not going to happen, that's things stand in the current world order. But if there was, you wouldn't need, I keep saying this, but it is important, I think, you wouldn't need to sift through classified documents, um, secret documents in the Israeli secret files. You would just have to read out what was said publicly by Israeli leaders and officials in order to establish intent. It's not subtle. It's actually, in the point, actually, Rez Gal, that Associate Professor just mentioned, there's actually something quite unique about this situation in that it's rare for intent to be so loudly communicated because actually if you look in things, places like, you know, Slobodan Milosevic did not say, this is, you know, with cleansing costs, he didn't, he pretended that it wasn't happening. It's, just, it's, quite, it's quite striking that there's no pretense. I mean, I think that's what's so striking about this. Absolutely. And if you look at the reasons why that is, I think it's because the world has been quite happy for blatant uh, violations of international law to go unaddressed and to uh, green light Israel to act with impunity. It feels that 
Israeli politicians feel it's fine to make those statements. Um, so, you know, we've we had the UN warning years ago that Gaza was going to become unlivable unless urgent action was taken to lift Israel's suffocating blockade and also to put a, an end to its repeated military assaults on Gaza's people. And by refusing to call Israel's actions for what they are, in terms of genocide and ethnic cleansing, and by refusing to condemn blatant breaches of international law, by saying, by or not saying really, that its restriction of water and fuel and food is in essence collective punishment and a war crime, or that Israel's so-called evacuation orders amount to forcible transfer, or by refusing to call for a permanent ceasefire, UK politicians across the political spectrum are really continuing to give Israel the green light to commit atrocities with impunity. And they have got to start fulfilling their duties under international law to ensure the protection of the Palestinian people and end support for Israel as it perpetuates crimes against humanity. I mean, I, I think we can all see not just the double standards, but the way in which international law has been used as a tool to oppress uh, people um, rather than actually as something to protect people. It, it, it is clearly not working other than to um, really afford kind of imperial powers, uh, further, further power than, than, than uh, other countries around the world. And it's very noticeable to countries in the global south that that kind of a double standard is in existence and the failure of international law to really be uh, something that is, is um, upheld for the rights of everybody, whoever they are, wherever they are in the world. Um, so governments really have got to start fulfilling their duties under international law uh, to ensure the protection of Palestinians. And the international community has got a very immediate responsibility to intervene to stop Israel's genocidal assault and ethnic cleansing once and for all. And that any delay in implementing practical measures constitutes complicity Absolutely. and participation Absolutely. in the ongoing Nakba. And we know what the UK's historical debt is in terms of laying the ground for the Nakba of 1948. And now it is facilitating a further Nakba on the Palestinian people. So we really need to see much better action in terms of a permanent ceasefire, unfettered access for humanitarian aid, but also real political action to ensure a future for Palestinians that's built on freedom, justice and equality for all. Just, just, just returning quickly, but brilliantly put by the way, um, to Bosnia, which you mentioned. And Bosnia, I think, in, in, you know, I'm a geriatric millennial. Bosnia, hung over my childhood, is a kind of exemplar of uh, a kind of modern horror. I think. Um, now, forty thousand civilians are estimated to have been killed in Bosnia. There was a higher death toll overall because of combatants. So overall, about hundred thousand. Um, were estimated to have been killed between 1992 and 1995. Of those 40,000 estimated to be um, civilians, uh, the large bulk of which were Bosniak Muslims. But, I mean, in terms of parallels, I mean, firstly, the latest figures from Euromed uh, Human Rights Monitor, who are a very um, extremely credible human rights independent organisation based in Geneva, chaired by Richard Falk, who is a Princeton lawyer who used to be the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in the Occupied Territories. Um, they now currently estimate that there are 
the, their latest death toll just updated is 16,396 civilians out of over 18,219 total killed in Gaza. Now, Bosnia had twice the pre-war population of Gaza. So already the death toll in Gaza is well over two-thirds the rate in six and a half weeks of Bosnia in three years. And I just think some of the parallels which I thought were striking was the Bos the Serbs suffered a genocide in World War II, and that was often part of the kind of the way that modern Bos Serb nationalism presented itself as, as we face this existential menace because of what happened in World War II. Um, the Serbs, civ Serbs civilians suffered atrocities in the Bosnian War. I mean, the first big massacre was against Bosnian Serbs. Nobody would look at that and think the Bosnian Serb nationalist leaders and what they did to the Bosnian Muslims, genocide, was in any way justified. But in this case, we're seeing an even a far greater death rate, far, far greater death rate than happened in Bosnia. Um, it's it's a worse death rate than, than happened in Iraq, in Syria. And it has the direct open support of Western governments. It's a crime, which I just think is is just is quite difficult for people to process. But that death rate, and I, I did an analysis. I went, I spoke to Iraq Body Count, who uh, who 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 are experts in this. There is no comparison with the modern conflict. It, yeah, I mean, it is unprecedented. What we're seeing is unprecedented in terms of scale, in in terms of Gaza, since since um, uh, in comparison to to Bosnia, but it's also unprecedented in terms of, as you said, the justification of uh, and, and the exception um, that is put when it's Palestinians, and you know there is a very clear racist. Uh, mindset that really doesn't believe that Palestinian lives are as important as others. It's quite, quite simple. It's not complicated. It's not subtle either. It's not subtle. And it's a very also colonial mindset, which sort of feels that, that actually the Palestinians as a people don't deserve to have political rights, that they don't deserve to have the right to self-determination. And if you kind of just hear the kinds of convoluted acrobats that politicians have been making in order to justify the, the actions that are going, going, going on in Gaza and being undertaken by Israel and the, the unconditional support for Israel, um, then it's very, very clear that those are the, that's the mindset that, that underlies uh, that approach. And I have to say, I mean, you know, I feel like I've been going mad watching watching this, and I'm not Palestinian. I just don't know. I mean, the impact of watching a British media industry, not just British politicians, not even pretend that Palestinian life has anything like the worth of a Western or Israeli life. I, I mean, it's. It, it, I mean, it must be just. Be, I don't know how you contain the rage for me. Well, the thing that actually lifts the spirits is to see that despite the fact that that is the approach in the mainstream media actually what we're seeing is that the British public and other peoples around the world can see through that hmm. uh, approach entirely they see see what's they, a core injustice they understand what's happening to the Palestinian people and they are horrified to hear those sorts of justifi justifications. Um, so, I mean, yes, it's appalling and we are grieving and 
there isn't a Palestinian who isn't affected by this, who doesn't have friends and family or or themselves are kind of living under those experiences. And I have worked for many years on Palestine and have been to Gaza many times as well and have been to the hospitals that have been under attack and have friends and colleagues in Gaza. Um, so, yeah, it's horrific to see people consistently demeaning Palestinians, dehumanising Palestinians uh, in the mainstream media. But at the same time, the voices of young Palestinians who are speaking out, of people who are standing up for Palestinian rights, those are the ones that are giving us hope. And we know that the future is not going to be the same as this. We know that in the end, freedom, justice and equality will be achieved. And um, we can see the people who are coming out on the streets week after week who are calling for that, uh, who are supporting that, who don't believe the kinds of, of racist rhetoric that we're seeing. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I mean, I'm really glad that we could end on a on a very actually, despite the horror, the atrocities, the uh, you know the, the the what many are describing as genocide, that you're able to see the seeds of hope for the future. And you're absolutely right. There's a um, a sharp contrast between the way the media is reporting it and actually what many millions of people across Britain and around the world feel. And I think you can see the growing anger and hysteria of apologists of the Israeli offensive. And I think that's because they know they're losing the war in, for public opinion, despite having everything stacked in their favour. So um, thank you so much, honestly, Amy, for your voice. And everyone, do look up the British Palestinian Committee and also MACAN, which is a Palestinian-led educational organisation. She's chair of the British Palestinian Committee and director of MACAN. But honestly, Amy, really, really appreciate it. And your work is, and voice is more crucial, obviously, than ever. So we really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Take care. Great. Brilliant, brilliant stuff there from Amy. Really great, great to, to have her here with us. Um, I'm now going to bring in um, Michael uh, Silver, who is the uh, consultant. He's a consultant surgeon at Oxford University um, Hospitals. Um, you have put yourself forward, haven't you, for medical aid for Palestinians sponsored team to enter Gaza when possible. Um, firstly, can I just thank you for joining us, by the way. A big honour to have you here. Um, and it's, you know, I, I think lots of people will be in all the fact that you put yourself forward to to, to go into a, a war zone, which by the time it's possible to be to, to enter, I don't I mean, we can see what's happened to Gaza already. 
What's your just initial thought, I suppose, from as a from a medical perspective, a humanitarian perspective, I suppose, on this truce, this pause in hostilities? Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, the ceasefire is essential to continue. Uh, the pause is welcome, uh, but it's not going to do much unless we make it sustained. Mm -hmm. You know that we've had 1.7 million people displaced from northern Gaza into the south. They are without shelter, they're homeless, they're exposed. There's no food, there's no water, there's no electricity. There's no sewerage system that's managing any of that displacement. And these people are exposed to the elements out there without any form of support. Uh, and if you think about what's happened since the 7th of October, there has been less than 6% of goods and essentials going into Gaza over a, a duration of 46 days. And you're looking at a population that's heading towards starvation, famine, and epidemics of, of, of illnesses like diarrhea and, and, and all the other contagious diseases that will take over with time. And this is notwithstanding the, the, the colossal loss of life that we've seen, like you've, you've eloquently uh, stated in, in, in the conversation with Amy and, and uh, your speaker before, Yuri. I mean, we've got more than 14,000 people killed and compare that to 1,200 Israelis killed, 10 times the number. I'm not detracting from the fact that what Hamas did on the 7th of October is deplorable. That's a terrorist act that killed innocent people. And that is not to be condoned on at all. But if you consider who is to blame for that, I don't blame Hamas. I blame the Israeli military and the Israeli government for being complacent. You know that you've got a fox next door to you. You don't let your chickens be attacked by, by letting your fence be unattended to. And that's exactly what the Israeli government did. They, they, well, I know in, in, yeah, certainly in the context at the moment of Israeli society, whatever people think, they there was a view that the southern communities were left undefended. And part of the reason for that is because the IDF have focused their troops in the West Bank, for example, to defend illegal settlements. And obviously there's a consensus in Israeli society, it's not controversial to say that uh, Israel left uh, the southern communities um, uh, exposed. I mean, just in terms of, you, you mentioned disease. I mean, if a general wrote in a uh, mainstream, a former general, Israeli general, wrote in a former, in a um, uh, Israeli newspaper um, in support of spreading disease um, in order to, um, they, this is Israeli Major General Gira Island, um, and he said that disease and starvation will hasten Gaza's surrender. Um, what he said was, if I just bring it up, uh, he said, um, um, you know, that, yeah, that the lack of food and the spread of a disease is something that should be encouraged, basically, because that will then mean their defeat. And then that was endorsed by the Israeli finance minister who shared on Twitter his approval. I suppose what I'd just ask you is, I mean, you know, I look at Yemen as an example. That's a war that I've, I've, I've written about a lot. I've been to a Yemeni refugee camp. Uh, 15,000 were directly killed by Saudi-led airstrikes in Yemen, it's estimated. 
but far more people died of other causes. And that's the point, isn't it, in war, that we, we obviously were focusing on violent civilian deaths. But what often happens, and this is what happened in Yemen and other countries, the healthcare system collapses, and then lots of people, A, injured in war, and B, people with underlying health conditions don't get treated, and then they die. I mean, is that your fear, that you get this, we're not even thinking about the broader death toll that comes outside of just, for example, being killed by a missile? I think we are we are being we have been overtaken by the the horror that we're seeing on our screens, and that's that's the problem. Uh, what you highlighted is the mindset of of what Israel is trying to do, and that is to ethnically cleanse this place. Uh, the The fallout from what's happened over the last four to six days is yet to come. You've got people exposed, like I said before, to all the elements that one could think of with no recourse to any form of, of support. There's no medical uh, aid that, that can get to them. There's no food, there's no water. I, I, I have first-hand information as to how these people are managing with food. I mean, there isn't enough to go around and it's been the case for days. Uh, the, the water that they're drinking is, is, is not fit for human consumption. They're using sources that are contaminated with sewerage, but they have to use it because that's the only way they can get get this. And, and like you rightly said, this is going to lead to a colossal amount of, of con, uh, contagious diseases that there is no infrastructure to, to manage or support. If you think of any other natural disaster that has happened, by now all the agencies that that come together in this sort of circumstance would be they are like a rash that they'd be getting their 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 field hospitals in they'll get in getting their infrastructure in to support them there'll be tents to, to house these people there'll be blankets there'll be food there'll be uh, uh, field hospitals that'll, that'll be looking after the, the ill i mean you've got children elderly you've got pregnant uh, women who are who are out there i mean my colleagues who I've worked with there are now homeless in Rafa. They haven't a place to go to, and and they're just out exposed to the elements, and and that's that's what hasn't been taken into account. We are only seeing the killing. Yes, that's happening, and that's happening at an industrial uh, scale, but we're not not having any plans as to what happens later. Hmm. Uh, On that, can I? I'll bring in actually just quickly. I've got a quick clip here from a UNICEF spokesperson that I want to put to you. It's about the question of premature babies. We heard, for example, obviously, I you know about premature babies who energy was obviously cut, electricity to hospitals, and they were taken out of their incubators. But let me just put this clip to you. And I just want to hear your response. We have been talking a lot about 31 premature infants evacuated from one hospital in a, in a huge uh, event that has been catching public attention. But again, 180 born every day, and more than 20 of those, on average, need specialized care every day, just like the 31 evacuated from Al-Shifa. I think that's the thing. It's just the enormity of this. The more you think about it, it really does start to sink in, doesn't it? Because we saw just those premature babies in one hospital as though that's a self-contained number. But every day, babies in the exact same position are born. And you have, obviously, you know, huge numbers of pregnant women who can't get, you know, 
obviously medical treatment, people with cancer, heart condition. I mean, it's just, it, it becomes difficult. I mean, just on that, that point about babies, I just, you know, I mean, what, what scale, I mean, if this goes on for weeks and weeks, what, what happens? I mean, we're just talking about how, cause the medical, the healthcare system has essentially collapsed. So. Well, it's not the going on. If it's stopped now, it's still a huge calamity. We still can't cope. There were up uh, about 30 hospitals that are functional in the strip. And at present, there are less than 10 that are functional. Even the 10 that are functional uh, are having rudimentary services. They're not being, they're not looking after the day-to-day -day patients. They're looking after the trauma patients. They're trying to cope with what's coming through the door all the time. And 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 they cannot cope with anything that one would contain, consider mundane. So, so how do we even comprehend and, and start to rebuild all of this? So it's 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 not a pause that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. We should be we should be asking for a sustained ceasefire. Mm -hmm. And and I guess instead of going around in circles, what we should should be looking to is is who is going to make the difference? Who's going to who's going to make that that call to to make Israel stop doing what they're doing? And the only only real power that can do that is the United States. And who 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 can make them do that? It's it's the Western governments who are propping that concept of condoning with the genocide and the war crimes that are happening here. Just, I mean, just yeah, just just finally on that because you'll be one of those doctors who'll be entering Gaza. And I mean that's that's what you've signed up to do in any case. What in terms of what, how large scale a operation would that involve? I mean we don't know obviously where Gaza will be at, but what will you be expecting to do in those circumstances if you don't have a healthcare system that looks after people, you know, you've got injured people, uh, you've got people who um, have all these underlying health conditions, Where, what, how does a health, an emergency health operation like that, how's it, what does it even begin to do? So we've not seen a similar situation like this before. I've been in touch with some of my MSF colleagues who, who managed to get 15 of their members into, into the strip today. Uh, Notwithstanding that two of them were killed yesterday, uh, a yard strike on the third floor of a hospital that they've they've been functioning in as MSF uh, for the last five years or so. Um, the WHO is not supporting any sort of uh, medical aid going in there with personnel because they cannot guarantee safety. And, and the only way that uh, medical aid for Palestine is trying to get people across there is without the guarantees that the WHO usually offers. And that would then require a lot more planning. The, the other issue at present is that they cannot guarantee how long you are going to stay there and, and how you're going to exit. So in those circumstances, you'll find that people like myself who've, who've got day jobs here in the UK, cannot cannot sign up to going in there so until there's a huge change in in the hostilities and 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 the ongoing violence that's that's apparent to everybody you're not going to see a a, a functional rescue operation that that would that would make even a dent to what, what's happening there and 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 what i fear is that they'll pause for five, five or four or five days and they won't stop with the north 
because you, you you cannot get rid of Hamas. Hamas Hamas will be in the south or and, and all over all over the strip. So so that their excuse will be that they have to persevere and continue. And the only way that they will stop is if they are told to stop by the United States. Even that one one doesn't know whether they'll do that. Mike, really appreciate you joining us. Um really appreciate it. And you know, doctors like yourself, you know, in in whatever we'll, we'll obviously have to see what happens in in terms of will gaza be made accessible by the israeli forces as well we just don't know in terms of what a medical rescue would look like but the fact that there are doctors like yourself signing up to do anything you can is obviously beyond yes, just just yeah. can i also let you know that we we as a as, as a group of doctors have set up uh, a network and we've been having vigils uh, we've been Downing Street last Friday, and we're doing one this Friday as well. Uh, and these are now spreading to all, all other to, to many other countries. So, so, so healthcare workers are are protesting and asking for a more sustained ceasefire. So, what we're trying to, to do is to make everybody an activist. Not to be too pessimistic or optimistic about what the outcome is, but do something to 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 show that the rest of the world forget our leaders because they have failed uh, are, are, are are trying to come together to make a difference and and make it an obvious choice that there has to be something more sustained here absolutely and we need, that collective action is absolutely crucial um thank you mike and obviously as well people should look up medical aid for palestinians and support them as best or anything they can do to support uh, their work um but mike i really appreciate it thank you for speaking from a medical nice stuff, you. yeah you too take care mike really appreciate it take care uh -huh. of yourself great stuff everyone well um we have covered a lot of ground today um now what we'll be doing over the coming days is we've got lots of interviews planned and lined up um to obviously talk to people with the voices that we need to be hearing right now and um, as well as trying to just deconstruct as ever um the narrative which has been woven by apologists for this massacre and um, and we've been doing that every day i mean i don't know if people if you've been following on the video channel but just as an example what we've been doing is um i mentioned that we interviewed this brilliant um, holocaust and genocide uh scholar um res Seagal. we've been doing pieces just deconstructing the false claims made by the Israeli state, um, of which there are abundant examples, and putting Gaza in perspective compared to other conflicts, and I think that's extremely important because I'm not quite sure people are aware just of the gravity of this, even those of us who oppose it. Um, so we've got, anyway, we've got lots of videos to come um, to try our very best to offer um, an alternative to the narrative which is being obviously peddled let's just go through some of the comments sorry here um which is david barata can we get your thoughts on the new red scare going on in hollywood they are going after those who show solidarity with palestine or disappointments about noah shat face nothing new mccarthyism yeah well i mean you know it's, it's interesting this kind of you know because you've got the so-called cancel culture people who claim that those who make often bigoted and racist and comments about voiceless and marginalized minorities which lack representation in the public domain or the real of being of being cancelled and that often for them means they've been criticized by some teenager on twitter i'm not saying teenager in a disparaging way it's just often these are young people who humiliate them by having more knowledge um and insight 
um, who pushed back on the bigotry. And that's they've been cancelled, as they say, from their newspaper columns and their um, um, TV appearances and book deals, uh, how cancelled, how very cancelled they are. Um, you know, what we've always had is, as, as David correctly describes as McCarthyism, the target of progressive voices. You first got the first Red Scare after the uh, Russian Revolution, actually after World War I, um, in which in the United States you got a mass arrest, deportations, incarceration of those um, deemed to be subversive. Um, McCarthyism was known as the second Red Scare for that reason. And you got there the mass targeting of progressives, including in Hollywood and elsewhere as well. Um, and that has a strategy which has been deployed against those who uh, stand with Palestinians and who oppose things like the mass slaughter of Gaza. Um, so it's absolutely right. You know, that, that there is an attempt to intimidate um, anyone with a public platform from speaking out because, you know, they know that public opinion is actually shifting against this horror. Um, and they're keenly aware that, you know, for example, the Israeli government, that if that happens, then there will be big pressure on governments to stop arming and supporting Israel in the way that they currently do. So they don't want that to happen. So you get, you know, those who defend the unquestioning cheerleaders of Israel will and the Israeli state and its behavior um, attempt to make examples of people to try and prevent, you know, to, to, to fight another people from speaking out, In, including obviously conflating what is the genuine horror of anti-Semitism, which needs to be taken on because anti-Semitism is an evil. It is responsible in living memory for the Holocaust. We are seeing rise in genuine anti-Semitism at the moment. For example, people who will, in a completely unacceptable way, try to collectively punish and blame Jewish people for the actions of the Israeli state, uh, for example, in Gaza, uh, to conflate that with genuine, obviously, well-founded opposition to the horrors being unleashed against the Palestinian people. And that then, you know, people feel scared to speak out um, as a consequence or to be labelled a, a, a stooge for Hamas, for example. Um, I mean, I note, actually, because I mentioned that I did this uh, interview with uh, Raz Sigal, which has gone viral on Twitter. I mean, it's got millions of views on Twitter. Uh, and it got shared by Gary Lineker, who's obviously what the most famous sports personality in the country. And um, he quote tweeted it with, you know, this is worth 13 minutes of your time. Well, worth 13 minutes of your time, which it is, because it is a detailed, academic, uh, factually, factually grounded, scholarly presentation from an Israeli associate professor of genocide and Holocaust studies. I think we can all agree that guy knows his stuff. <laughs> um, and he is now, if you look up, because he shared my interview, he is now being dogpiled, attacked by newspaper after newspaper. They, he's, I, I can just look it up. In fact, let's just, just do a, a quick, a quick, uh, quick search. He's been attacked in the Times. He's been attacked um, in The Telegraph. He's been attacked in GB News. He's been attacked in The Express. Uh, he's been attacked in Jewish Chronicle, Daily Mail. I mean, he's, I mean, he, you know, LBC, The Sun. Um, oh, I think The Sun are attacking for something else there, actually. Anyway, I'm sure they'll be on it. Yeah, so he's being attacked, um, you know, by the media because it's not just to attack him. It's to make an example of other people, to stop them from speaking out and using their platforms. We need everyone with a platform to speak out now, given the horrors being unleashed. Um, but yeah, it's a really important point, basically. Uh, Tad Cantwell, years ago, an Israeli general predicted democracies will fall in the next 50 years. It made me think they presume they will be less and less accountable over time. Well, I mean, I don't know the Israeli general has got a point, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, even if you look at Israel, I mean, Israel, when people say it's a democracy, obviously, um, that isn't true in the sense that um, if you look at the Israeli occupation of the West Bank, that was, that was a despotism. 
That's a form of despotism. It's an autocratic rule over the West Bank. That's not democracy, is it? Um, But also the attempt to um, gut the Supreme Court in Israel, which caused a massive protest movement, um, was correctly termed by opponents within Israel um, and supportive of Israel from without was an attempt to essentially set up an authoritarian state. And that's the direction Israel's heading in. But it's also the danger of where it's heading in other Western countries. And I think you could basically call Israel a Western state. It's an outpost of Western civilization, really, isn't it? Um, which is why it is defended in the way it is. Um, if you look at the United States, if Trump wins the next election, which I think there is a big chance now, a significant chance, not least because of Joe Biden's position on Gaza, means that many young people and many Muslim Americans, many Arab Americans are just not going to vote for Joe Biden. They'll either sit in their hands or vote for a third party. And people go, well, how can they do that? They're going to let Trump win. That He's much worse on this issue, which he is, you know, and 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 how why they have to just vote for the Democrats no matter what. Well, yeah, you can't just force people to do that. You can't just scream in their faces and go, well, we might, um, the Democratic president might be supporting the mass slaughter of thousands of Palestinians, the just mass destruction, wiping Gaza off the face of the earth. But it could be worse, so you're going to have to vote for him. And if you don't, you're a disgrace, you're a moral disgrace. I don't think that's going to work, guys. So, you know, I think the dangers facing American democracy, as caveated as it already was, are profound. And you, I think you can see that in other states. I mean, you can see, you know, Hungary, I always look at as a template for what could happen because it, it was a you know, ruled by a supposedly centre-right party, Fidesz, and then became, that party basically turned it into an authoritarian autocracy. Um, and you can see that happening elsewhere. Um, I do want to defend my guest from earlier, because Zach says, based on what you already said, he only seemed to care about the safety of Israelis, he's not a single word about the Palestinians killed or the security. He did talk about the Palestinians being killed. Obviously, he, what he was trying to do, and is trying to do, is make a case within Israeli society at a time when, as he said, after the 7th of October, there's been a paradigm shift. It's become very, very hard to make the arguments in support of peace and justice than it was before. It's just that's a fact. And he has to, he's pitching his arguments in in that sense, which is, you know, may, many of you might not like that narrative or perspective, but for example, saying, you know, this is counterproductive and will lead to more Israelis dying. And the reason he's saying that is he's pointing out to Israeli public opinion, well, actually, if you think this is going to keep Israelis safe, then you're wrong. It will do the opposite. Now, obviously, you know, that, Standing Together, which he represents, um, that movement brings together, as I've said, Jewish and Palestinian citizens of Israel together, and they do lots on Palestinian rights, uh, both within Israel, but also from the um, occupied territories. So I just wanted to make that quick defence, but, you know, he did talk about Palestinians being killed in the atrocities committed against Gaza, so I just wanted to defend him there. Uh, Yeah, anyway, um, thank you for all those. Thanks for the brilliant guests. Um, Yeah, as I've said, for what I'm doing with what we're doing with the content at the moment is we're doing it you know, I'm, you know, I'm saying this just because, um, as a thanks, um, because we're doing these videos on, uh, YouTube, um, on, uh, they're going on Twitter, they're going on Instagram, they're going on Facebook, they're going on the podcast and collectively they are reaching millions of people. I mean, at the moment, the audience, uh, for the stuff that we're doing collectively is vast. I mean, on, on, on YouTube alone, we've got millions and, um, collectively in terms of the videos, um, and that's also true on Facebook, and that is true on um, Instagram. Um, you know, one video on Instagram alone got um, 1.4 million views. So, we, you know, it's reaching a lot of people. So we're going to keep, you know, I hope we're doing something important, uh, which is to try and offer an alternative. The reason it's doing well, um, as much as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad of all the efforts that we're doing, is that 
there is a huge appetite out there for an alternative on terms of the way the media has presented this, which is to dehumanize Palestinians, treat Palestinian life as meaningless, and to support one of the great atrocities of our time. It is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I will never not be shocked. You know, so I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm not completely stupid and naive, but I will never get over the shock of watching the so people who like to describe themselves as moderates and liberals and centrists who don't give a fuck about Palestinian lives. And I've never, I will never get over my anger, um, my disgust um, at this episode. Never going to get over it. It's absolutely nauseating. It is the most sickening display of unapologetic racism imaginable. Not even a pretense that Palestinians matter. Not even a pretense. It is fucking disgusting. And I'm sorry to swear, but I really am beyond angry. Um, and I'm not trying to censor my own emotions there because if I feel like this, what message is being sent to the world? You know what? They're listening. People, it's the thing. I think people in the West often think to themselves, they, they don't realize that the things that are said and done are watched by people in other countries, including minorities within their own country, who are being loudly told, we don't care about human life unless we consider that life to be of our own people in some loose sense. Um, and that, that message is being listened to. It is being processed, and I, I I think we should fear the terrible, terrible consequences for a very long time to come. This is not going to be forgiven. It won't be forgiven, not just by the Palestinians. Of course, I mean, you know, as if the Palestinians could ever forgive, or sorry, forget, ever forget this horrible nightmare. But what message, the message being screamed at the moment to the world by these bunch of racists who dominate the media organizations of the Western world, which is what they are. And by the way, I mean, I'm not going to, just an example, you know, one of these, a, a, a supposedly, um, you know, a self-regarded, a self-describing um, moderate um, centrist pundit uh, quote tweeted a random Palestinian citizen of Britain um, who just questioned this individual's description of from the river to the sea um, as being genocidal um, and tried to, you know, and, and accused that person of tone policing. Um, and then uh, quote tweeted them, calling them a snivelling little apologist. And when I confronted them about it, um, um, Private Eye have now done a big story about it as though the real bully in all of that was me. The reason I just bring that up is what Private Eye did there is they looked at that exam. This is Private Eye I'm, I'm, I'm talking about in, in this whole saga. Private Eye looks at that and thought the real victim in all of that wasn't a random Palestinian who's not a public figure who got quote tweeted in a moment of horrible trauma for his people and described baselessly as a snivelling little a snivelling little apologist. It was someone challenging that commentator for using that language. I mean, it's just the the just the lack of any sense of Palestinians being treated as you know having you know as being fellow human beings. Um, by private eyes, just a really striking example. Anyway, look, I'm just going to end there. Thank you to Sonic uh, Narcotic. For, uh, oh, AK, so I missed your question. Uh, what does post-war Gaza look like? UN-controlled, hard to see how things go back to concentrate-style um, status quo. Well, David Cameron described Gaza as the world's biggest prison camp back in 2010. Um, well, by the looks of things, Israel will occupy it militarily. And the dangers of the mass ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian population, which Israeli politicians and leaders and journalists keep openly saying they will do. It's um, not good. Thanks to Tad Camwell, Zach, uh, Rafik, Azuz. 
Uh, thanks to all of you. Uh, we've got lots of stuff to come, as I keep saying. And uh, you keep the show on the road on patreon.com forward slash um, as ever. And um, I'm going to just keep asking, just for, I'm going to do a shout out to ask what who we should be talking to in your opinion, what sort of questions we should be asking. Um, yeah, so I'm going to, I will put that to you. I will do a shout out uh, after the show. All right. Lots of love, everyone. Really appreciate it. Take care and I'll speak to you all soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.